2: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.
1: Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, October 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a ruling has been handed down on House Bill 1523. We'll hear what's next. A group of Mississippi lawyers moving to change who can and who cannot vote.
3: This was part of a package of 1890 constitutional provisions include poll taxes and literacy tests and understanding tests that were designed to take away the vote that African Americans had attained when slavery was abolished after the Civil War.
1: And Mississippi's oyster season opens today. Find out why the number of them is way down this year. That's all coming up. Mississippi's controversial House Bill 1523 will now go into effect across the state. This after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit has denied the request for a rehearing with the full panel of the Fifth Circuit to plaintiffs in the Campaign for Southern Equality versus Governor Phil Bryant case. The plaintiffs challenge the passage of HB 1523 in Mississippi. The bill authorizes Mississippi officials and service providers, such as doctors and store owners, To recuse themselves from serving LGBT individuals on the basis of three specific religious beliefs about gay marriage, transgender individuals, and sex before marriage. Critics say the law is discriminatory and anti LGBT. Supporters say the law protects religious beliefs. Jasmine Beach Ferrara is executive director of the Campaign for Southern Equality. She joins us live this morning. Jasmine, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Uh, Now, according to 2016 data from the UCLA School of Law, Mississippi is home to 60,000 LGBT adults, an estimated 11,400 transgender youth and adults. The state is also home to 3,500 same-sex couples and has the highest rate in the nation of same-sex couples raising children at 29%. What effect could this have on that pretty large population?
0: Absolutely. Well, what we certainly know in those numbers is that LGBT people uh, live in every town and county across Mississippi. And as we look at this law scheduled to go into effect on Friday, October 6th, we're deeply concerned about the way that it targets LGBT people for discriminatory treatment. Um, And we want to make sure that folks know that our community is coming together together. Um, The Campaign for Southern Equality is opening up a hotline to offer support and resources to anyone who experiences discrimination, whether that's in a restaurant or a doctor's office or a Mississippi State office. And folks can learn more about that at southernequality.org.
1: Now, how would this affect the move to block House Bill 1523, or or are there plans to do that, to file another lawsuit? Well, our legal
0: team is working around the clock, and we'll have updates as the week progresses. We are uh, certain that this law is unconstitutional, and in fact, a federal district court looked at the merits of the law and ruled it to be unconstitutional. Um, It's important to emphasize uh, that the Fifth Circuit ruling does mean the law will go into effect, but the ruling is on the basis of a technicality, not the actual substance of the law. Um, But our main message today and over the course of the week is wanting LGBT people across Mississippi, especially kids and youth out there, to know that they're not alone, that when this law goes into effect, there will be a lot of support and resources available, and that if people experience discrimination, there's a way to report it uh, directly to the Campaign for Southern Equality.
1: Jasmine beach Ferrara, Executive Director of the Campaign for Southern Equality, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thank you for the opportunity.
1: And now, Matt Steffi, a professor of law at Mississippi College School of Law, he joins us live this morning to discuss what happens next matt good morning good morning Karen how are you i'm I'm fine thank you let's get right to it. What happens next procedurally are there any other options yes
4: there there, there are another uh, two other main options for Maine one is that they can seek review in the u s Supreme Court file a petition for Circe which is always kind of a long shot, particularly here on a technical issue. You know, they'd have to get the U.S. Supreme Court interested in the technical issue because the merits is not presently uh, 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 on the table. Second, they could try to find uh, someone who meets the definition of legal standing that that overcomes the legal technicality that uh, that defeated this particular lawsuit. But that's a little bit more challenging than you'd think. I think certainly they can find some folks to properly bring a suit. But this law is and has always been largely symbolic. It relieves uh, Mississippians motivated by a particular religious belief of, of any obligations under state anti-discrimination laws. Well, our state doesn't have any anti-discrimination laws to speak of. So it's an exemption from a duty that doesn't exist. As to federal anti-discrimination duties, the state has to obey them, whether the state legislature wishes to or not. That's kind of the catch-22. This lawsuit was defeated precisely because its effect is largely symbolic.
1: Let me ask not, you this. I need to I'm jump not minimizing in. minimizing that. Yes. Um- this law is set to go into effect this coming Friday. Yes. Does something have to be done before Friday, before it takes effect, or can uh, a lawsuit be filed any time after it does take effect? The lawsuit could be filed today,
4: but the, the, the lawsuit can be filed today. Uh, as to the main point, the, the, the law will go effect on, on its own uh, by the, as a natural consequence of the outcome of this decision so the law will take into effect telling mississippians if you hold these three religious beliefs or one of them you don't have to obey state anti-discrimination laws of course that begs the question of what state anti-discrimination laws we have and the answer to that is essentially none the restaurants aren't under a duty under state law not to discriminate they're under a duty under federal law uh, and, and this law can't uh, can't have any effect on federal law
1: so it does it makes no difference Yeah. Uh... Because it is a federal law.
4: That's right. The federal law always trumps state law, regardless of the subject matter. It does make a difference in the way that your previous guest indicates. It sends a message that certain religious beliefs in the state of Mississippi are privileged, that certain uh, that LG- members of the LGBT community have fewer legal rights and may less be fully citizens Enjoy the full benefits of citizenship.
1: We need to end it right there, unfortunately. Matt, thank you so no, much for right. being with us. Appreciate My
4: pleasure,
1: it. Karen. Sure. We are trying to reach the governor's office for comment. House Bill 1523 will go into effect across Mississippi October 6th. Coming up, a federal lawsuit accuses Mississippi of discriminating against blacks convicted of felonies who've served their time. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Your home
3: for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A group of attorneys is challenging a portion of state law. Mississippi's Constitution bars its citizens from voting ever again, after being convicted of certain felonies. The legal group wants the federal courts to remove what it calls an illegal vestige of white supremacy by striking down most of those restrictions. Attorney Rob McDuff estimates more than 50,000 Mississippians have been disqualified from voting since 1994 due to these convictions. He says about 60% of them are black. The suit was filed Thursday in federal court in Jackson by the Mississippi Center for Justice on behalf Half of two people convicted of forgery and one convicted of embezzlement. Attorney Rob McDuff practices in Jackson. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser more about the suit.
3: This lawsuit is part of an impact litigation initiative that has been launched by the Mississippi Center for Justice along with me. And we have brought this lawsuit, along with some other veteran civil rights lawyers, challenging the provision of the Mississippi Constitution of 1890 that prevents people from voting if they were convicted of certain crimes that the 1890 framers believed were committed mostly by African Americans. This was part of a package of 1890 constitutional provisions that include poll taxes and literacy tests and understanding tests, that were designed to take away the vote that African-Americans had obtained obtained when slavery was abolished after the Civil War. Now, most of those devices, like the poll taxes and the literacy tests um, and unreasonable residency requirements, were abolished by federal court decisions in the 60s and 70s or by the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But this particular provision that disenfranchises people convicted of certain crimes that were believed to be committed mostly by African Americans is still on the books and is still having an impact. You know, the right to vote should be exercised free of the legacy of racial discrimination. And this particular provision is one of the most significant legacies of of racial discrimination that is still written into our law.
1: Doesn't this apply to a person of any color?
3: It does apply to a person of any color, but it disproportionately affects African Americans. After sort of reviewing the data, I believe that at least 50,000 Mississippians have been disqualified from voting for the rest of their lives during the past 20 years as a result of convictions of the particular crimes that were set forth in this list. And approximately 60% of those are African American. And that's in a state where, you know, only 35% of the adult population is African American. So it's clearly having a racially discriminatory impact. And, you know, Mississippi needs to move to a fair policy that allows people to vote after they have served their time but the first step on that road is to is to discard this discriminatory relic of a really shameful time in our state's history
1: can't people get their records expunged
3: no only people convicted of of certain narrow felony offenses can get their records expunged most of the people who've been convicted of these disqualifying crimes cannot get their records expunged and and therefore they can't vote many states have as time has gone by recently, moved away from this notion of disqualifying people for the rest of their lives because of criminal convictions. There are only 10 states in the entire country now that still disqualify, give people lifetime disqualifications from voting for being convicted of particular crimes.
1: What crimes fall into expungements and which ones don't?
3: The list of felonies that can disqualify a person from lifetime voting or bribery, theft, arson, obtaining money or goods under false pretense, perjury, forgery, embezzlement, and bigamy. And the word theft has been interpreted to include receiving stolen property, felony shoplifting, robbery, and larceny, and false pretense has been interpreted to include felony bad checks. So people convicted of these particular crimes, including felony shoplifting and felony bad checks, cannot vote for the rest of their lives. And that's just a very extreme and unfair punishment in our view. And it stems from this provision in 1890 that just has, has terrible racist origins.
1: What happens next? You filed the lawsuit. Now, what are the next steps in the process?
3: The secretary of state is the person we have sued because he administers this law and makes sure that, that people who are convicted can't vote. So he will be filing a response to our lawsuit, and we will just sort of proceed down the line. Um, And hopefully the judge will see it the way we see it and strike down this particular provision of the Mississippi Constitution so that people who were convicted of these crimes that were included in this 1890 list will now be able to register and vote.
1: Does this mean the attorney general's office would be the defendant?
3: Yes, the attorney general's office will be representing the secretary of state's office. In, in responding to our lawsuit.
1: Well, Mr. McDuff, we thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks. Voters amended the Constitution in 1968 to add rape and murder to the list of crimes. The lawsuit doesn't challenge using those two crimes to disqualify people from voting, only the earlier list. Right now, only an act of the legislature can restore someone's voting rights. The lawsuit names the Secretary of State's office because it handles voting operations. The agency says it doesn't comment on pending litigation. In other news, the Mississippi National Guard is sending more than 200 soldiers and airmen in support of hurricane relief efforts in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Last week, the Guard's 172nd Airlift Wing and the Tennessee National Guard's 164th Airlift Wing transported various equipment and 72 soldiers to the island. Islands of St. Croix and St. Thomas from Flowoods-Thompson Field. Lieutenant Colonel Jody Smith is Director of the Guard's uh, Directorate of Military Support. He says service members will assist in various logistical support roles on the islands.
4: We're supporting both Puerto Rico and uh, the Virgin Islands with air traffic control because their systems were uh, hit so hard. So there's, there's a lot of devastation in all those islands. They're taking everything they can to help sustain and uh, improve life support. MEMA and FEMA have been instrumental in assisting us with the EMAC and uh, helping us work through the uh, processes so that we can ensure that we do everything legally and that our soldiers are taken care of uh, and our airmen who are assisting in any operations. You have contingents from Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Ohio, Alabama, there are quite a few states that are going over there that are familiar with hurricane recovery operations that are there to help the island.
1: Smith said the state's guard also has 23 airmen in both Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands due to damage to the region's communication systems. Additionally, there are 14 airmen providing support in Florida and Texas for hurricane relief efforts. Smith expects MSNG service members to remain on the islands anywhere from 21 to 30 days. Coming up, find out why this year's oyster harvest will be smaller than previous years. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state in worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio.
0: Our viewers asked, and we said, great idea. You can now catch your favorite MPB primetime dramas in the daytime. Programs like Doc Martin, Father Brown, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, Death in Paradise, Grantchester, and Call the Midwife. Tune in every weekday from 4 to 5 to catch your favorite PBS and BBC programs exclusively on MPB televisions.
1: From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Oyster season is scheduled to open at sunrise today, so it has opened on the Biloxi Bay Reef, but the Department of Marine Resources says this year's oyster harvest will be limited to 30 percent of what's estimated to be on the reefs. The agency hopes that limiting the season will give the young oysters on the reefs a chance to grow. Paul Mickle, the DMR's chief scientific officer, says a limited season may help that. He tells MPB's Evelina Burnett why the oyster count is down.
5: The past few years we've seen a lot of natural mortality. So in certain aspects of when the northern Gulf of Mexico gets obsessive amounts of rain and the temperature regimes are are a little bit warmer in some seasons versus the average, then the oysters struggle with this and they have mortality or they start to see some die off and it's, it's from a natural cause and that, that causes some restriction in harvest of course. And when our reefs are in a poor condition we try to recommend to the commission to restrain harvest so we can have a, some resiliency in our in our oyster reefs
2: and what was your recommendation this year and and what did they approve?
5: Yes, yeah, so we recommended a, a limited harvest around thirty percent of what our surveys told us that was actually out there in the approved areas, and the commission approved that and, and that 's what the harvest is this year, so the harvest will be around uh, ten thousand sacks
2: and what are you hoping that having such a small harvest will do?
5: Mm-hmm. Well, we want to maintain, you know, user ability for the resource to keep folks fishing and bringing in oysters. We have to protect the resource as well. So it's that balance of allowing access while still conserving uh, the resource to allow for harvest in the future. So with the, with the young oysters that we see entering the, entering the fishery, the oysters, so we want to protect those young oysters so when they reach market size, they'll be abundant so we have th- that resiliency in the reefs.
2: And um, is, do you think that, ha, you know, having uh, the 30 percent quota for this year might help with next year? Or is it sort of maybe several years, decades before we see the oysters coming back?
5: With restricted harvest, we, of course, are building it around the future of next season and the season after. With the spat or the young oysters we see entering, there's limited spat for next year. We're, we're hoping those will grow up. The production in our, on our reefs is very high right now, so growth is high. Hopefully, these mortality events are behind us, so these young oysters can enter the fishery. So we're really hoping in the next two years, we will really see a large increase in in landings and resiliency of the reef. We're seeing more and more oysters starting to enter the marketable three-inch size oysters that we all want to see.
2: How does what we're seeing here fit into what other states or areas are seeing in the rest of the Gulf of Mexico?
5: That brings in the economics, the market price, what oysters are around Gulf-wide. So Florida has seen a large drop in, in, in harvest, and a lot of that's mortality events. Louisiana's seen some drops. The Texas has been ravaged by storms. So we're seeing a large change in the Gulf as far as natural mortality, uh, where the harvest is going to come from in the Gulf. So it's really important that all the states work together, understand what's going on, and try to bring in that, that harvest kind of model of retaining resiliency of our oyster reefs, having young oysters enter the fishery. So each state has their strategy, their organization, their capabilities of restricting harvest and still allowing harvest to create that market as well as conservation. And I think all the states are doing a really good job of it. And I think with some more understanding of, of these natural mortality events, we'll just get better and better and have more oysters entering our fishery in the future.
2: And I understand there was a a natural mortality event last August, is that right, that affected this season?
5: Yes. So we had a very wet spring. We had an extremely wet June. It was the wettest June. I think it was over 100 years. So having that, you have high nutrients that come in from our rivers when you have a lot of rainfall. So when you have abnormal rainfalls early summer, late spring, then you have the nutrients available. And when you get the heat of the summer coming in, dissolved oxygen starts to become depleted because you have high microbial processes going on from the nutrients, and then you have high temperatures, water cannot retain dissolved oxygen, natural mortality events occur. So that's the driving force of this past August.
2: So was it this August, uh, like last month, or like a year ago August?
5: We had one last month and a year ago August, so two separate events. But again, we had two wet springs coinciding with those events. So hopefully we're out of that natural pattern, And these mortality events will go away because we really haven't seen those in the past before. We have a lot of oyster data over a lot of years. We have mortality events, but nothing on that scale. We just really have nothing in our data sets to show what we've seen in the past two years to compare to. So very atypical, which I am really hoping is in the past and behind us.
2: That's really interesting. Um, Would it have been better to not have any oyster season at all this year?
5: No, I don't think. I think some harvest is always important for a reef. When a reef allows to grow up sometimes, the mussels move in, the, uh, the oysters don't stay as clean by being worked so much with, with harvest. When you work oyster reefs, it cleans the shells and allows spat to attach to the shell. So uh, allowing some, some minimal effort on reefs actually can help with resiliency, catching that next year and the year after, that young spat, those young oysters to settle and grab onto something nice and clean to grab onto.
1: Okay, thank you so much.
5: Thank you very much.
1: DMR Chief Scientist Paul Mickle with our Evelina Burnett. Reefs in the Western Mississippi Sound will open November 13th. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. At 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
0: As an MPB listener, you probably know of Radio Reading Service, our free closed-circuit network for the print-impaired. But did you know that means Radio Reading Service isn't only for the visually impaired and that MPB provides the special receiver you need for the service? Call 601-432-6301 to see if you qualify for MPB's Radio Reading Service. 601-432-6301. There's so much more to know.
5: I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, the new host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. From exercise and diet to wellness and stress relief, this is the show for you. Email your questions, comments, and show ideas to healthy at mpbonline.org. And listen for me, Dr. Josie Bidwell, on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, Mondays at
0: 11 on MPB Think Radio.
2: support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark featuring my Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders details at trustmark.com
5: Member FDIC.